Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Obviously, the faithful who came, I'm really happy to see you. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast, um, we're really happy you're joining us for all the Valentine's Day sweethearts out there. <laughs> this is for you too, wherever you are. Um, no, but I would uh, love to get started with a prayer. Um, I'm not giving you chocolate tonight because I'm poor, but I'm giving you some really sweet things to think about. See what I did there? So it's going to be awesome, and I really am thankful that y'all came, and I hope, I think it's for each of you, like wherever you are in your life, I think that there's something that you're going to learn, um, and I really was praying about this topic, so it's kind of, this is like a medley of Sarah Denny's life, basically, and all the things I think about all the time. Uh, so I'm excited about it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for just the gift of being able to come together tonight to reflect on what does it mean for us to be human? What does it mean for us to love? What does it mean for us to offer ourselves as gift? Lord, I ask for the grace for each of us to see ourselves the way that you do, that we would see ourselves as gift. Um, and Lord, that we would be confident in the ways that you have made us, that we are very good. And I ask the special intercession of Our Lady and all the angels and saints, especially St. Valentine, um, that we would just continue to grow in grace and in our receptivity to the Lord in his presence in our lives. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, I printed out some notes for you, which again, there's a lot of quotes on here, but I think they're, they're worth going back to later. Some of them I think you might prefer than others, but I think everyone's going to find one that they really like. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm going to give the notes to Shelley Pergola, and you can access them somehow on our website. She's the magical person. But I don't know how to do that, but she'll put it on there. The first one um, is a quote from Fyodor Dostoevsky, whose name I can't say appropriately. Um, but So the theme of this whole talk is pro-life, pro-love, pro-woman. And this first quote, um, I found this in the introduction to his uh, novel, Brothers Karamazov. And what he says is, is that man is a mystery. It needs to be unraveled. And if you spend your whole life unraveling it, don't say that you've wasted time. I am studying that mystery because I want to be a human being. Now, I find great consolation and encouragement in this quote because I feel like that's kind of all I do is I like to think about humanity. (laughs) Um... But truly what he's saying is, is that if we're reflecting on what it means to be human, then there's something that we're going to gain from that. And that, in fact, each of us should reflect on what does it mean to be human, and specifically the unique way that you live that out as a man or as a woman. So tonight what I wanted to start with um, is some experiences that I've had in my work within the pro-life ministry, in particular working at a women's health clinic. Um, so I have been part of an organization called Women's New Life Center since about 2007, 2008, so like the last 11, 12 years, so basically since I graduated high school. Um, And I've been blessed to not only meet many women coming in for different services, whether that's crisis pregnancy or infertility, um, or just uh, struggling with understanding their fertility, or the women that I work with. I've met a lot of strong women. Um, And in that space, it's definitely encouraged me to what I want to encourage you to do, which is that... uh, the world is very much about like what is in your face right now and what's coming at you fast. And I want to encourage you to slow down a little bit and to look deeper than the superficial, right? As human beings, we have this capacity that we can see into the reality of things. 
And so that's what I'm hoping some of the stories tonight are going to help illuminate for you. Um, so what happens um, if you are counseling a woman in a crisis pregnancy? Well, let me just example story would be, you know, imagine a young woman, 16, 17 years old. Uh, she's not married. And she is sexually active, and she takes a pregnancy test one day. Um, and she sees that it's positive. And her response is tears, right? What do you think some of the emotions are going to be for her? Fear, um, anxiety, maybe a little bit of joy, right? Um, sadness. It, imagine just the mod podge of things, right? Because that's what it is to be human. And I'm going to try to point out to you tonight, it's not ever just one thing. It's usually a mix of things. Um, and so this young woman uh, comes to a place like Women's New Life Center. And I think why I want to share this with you is a lot of people say that they're pro-life. And they are. Um, but I want to challenge you in your understanding of what that means. I think oftentimes we hear pro-life and we think, save the babies. Good, but that's not the only facet to be pro-life, right? If I'm pro-life, that means that every single human life in all of its uh, different forms and the ways that it's lived out, the capacities mentally, the capacities physically, is very good. Um, and in this particular situation, what, what I've benefited from in learning with my work with Women's New Life Center in the last 12 years is that, you know, the woman who founded the organization, Susan Muir, she said, if you save the woman, you save the child. And what she means by that is, like, we don't just endeavor to save this child and then, like, oh, like, this byproduct is, like, oh, the woman, that'd be nice, too. Like, the woman is important, too. We don't posit one life against the other, or then we just become more divided, right? So what the goal of the organization and the people that are counseling is, is to, to meet these women where they are and to have conversations. So I trained, um, after I finished my master's, they trained me as a paraprofessional counselor. So I don't have a degree in counseling, but a woman who has a degree in social work trained me and taught me, especially because I'd been around the ministry and the work for a long time and work with women for a long time. She was teaching me the tools I needed to be able to respond to the women when they walked in the door. So imagine yourself right now in crisis, right? All of us have experienced situations that feel like crisis. It can be trauma. It doesn't have to be. Um, but crisis is a situation where, even on a psychological level, we're kind of in that fight-or-flight mode, right? Or freezing mode. Like, there's a lot happening. And so these women enter, and if they're in crisis, what that means is that they do not know what to do, and they are looking for answers. The thing that I have to respect as their counselor in that situation is that they have freedom. I cannot choose for them. And when I first started training within this sphere with this particular organization, um, one of the things that was hard for me is, you know, sometimes people, when they say pro-life, they're like, abortion is not an option. It's not an option. I know what they mean when they say that. And I agree in the sense of, like, I wish it wasn't an option. But if I'm sitting across from a woman in a room and counseling her in some capacity, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't an option. It's an option, right? She could choose that if she desires that. But what I'm helping and trying to help her to see is that it's not the only option. There's abortion, but there's also adoption, and there's also raising the child. When she sits across from me and she's like, I don't know what to do, I'm freaking out, and I'm asking her all these questions, right? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, number one, help her slow down, and number two, by getting to know her story. So if there's anything you take away from this, if, if you want to delve deeper into what it means to be pro-life, I mean, this is a, to me, pro-life is a word that should be in every part of your lives, even if you're not specifically working with women in crisis pregnancies, Pro-life to me is what it means for us to live with the spirit from within. And we desire um, to be a vessel 
and to bring life into the world and to help other people to remember who they are, their dignity, so that they too can respond to that call, which is at times a challenge. So this young woman sitting across to me, for example, we're talking, I'm trying to get to know her story. It's a thing that they call reflective listening. So I'm not trying to put words in her mouth. I'm trying to listen to her and then reflect back to her. Okay, so what I hear you saying is this, is that right? And then she's able to own it for herself, right? And then the next step that we usually try to do with them is we try, as they're slowing down, is to help them to get back in touch with their value system. Meaning, before you were in crisis, what did you believe about abortion? And I'm telling you that most of these women, they're like, it's not an option. Like, I never would consider it. I never thought that I would ever be in this situation where I would consider it. And so it's not that I'm saying, well, now, like, you're in a bad situation. Like, now you're considering it. No, what I'm saying is, like, okay, so what's different now? Obviously, she's pregnant. But what else is different? And you help them to see that when you're in crisis, what we all want to do, it's a human response, is we want to eliminate the stimulus that's perhaps the easiest to sort of, like, cut off or cut out, right? Because we just want to feel better. And we're like, oh, my gosh, something needs to give, and you just want to feel better. And in that moment, when she comes in and... Out of all the women I counseled, I want to say maybe three or four of them, I think maybe less, did the guy come with her. So she's already, she feels alone, right? So what we're trying to do is, number one, your value system, what is it before crisis? And in slowing down, telling her like, hey, if this is what you believe before, what I want to encourage you to do is to choose in line with what you believe when you're not in crisis mode. Because each of us, if we make decisions and we're in crisis mode and we start chopping up things, then we have to live with that decision after, right? And that it kind of like, it can kind of divorce us from within, if that makes sense. Um, I can honestly stand before you and tell you in the 12 years that I worked in this field so far, um, I've never met a woman who actually wanted to have an abortion. What she wanted was to feel better. What she wanted was to wish that she didn't have to do this by herself. Right? So I say all that to say, number one, you empower someone with the truth by reflective, reflecting back to them, like, this is who you are. You are strong. You are able. You are capable. And then also, you don't just say, like, okay, bye. Have fun. Like, good luck with that. It's not just ideas. The next step is then tangible resources. So that's what else this organization does, whether it's, like, giving that. So all the services of this particular organization, which I have it on your notes, if you know anyone that would need them, you can contact them. But all the services are free. So whether that's getting diapers, whether that's going for counseling, um, even if it's a man or a woman, post-abortive counseling is also an option. Um, Whether that's getting an ultrasound, right? So the social workers that work there, what they're doing is they're like, okay, what do you need right now? You need better housing? Let's look for an option for you where you can live on your own that it's safe, right? You need to sign up for LA CHIP, so like welfare system and different ways to help a child eat, et cetera, if they don't have money. Okay, we'll help you sign up for that. It's not us saying, like, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. Because, again, in the beginning and since the beginning, what has God always respected? He's always respected our freedom. And we don't refer, clearly, we don't refer for abortion. So we're like, if they ask us, well, where can I go to get an abortion? Now, granted, for years, this particular place in Metairie was, like, next to an abortion clinic. So they'd be like, well, where can I go to get an abortion? And then we'd be like, I'm sorry, but I can't refer you for that. Clearly, if they walked out the door, they could figure it out, right? But I'm not going to refer them for that. But what they then say, what we would tell them, 
is we would say, if you do decide that though, I wanna let you know that we're still here. Like this is a safe place for you. I can't walk with you down that road, but if that's what you decide and you want to walk with someone and know that they're there for you, I'm still here. Um, and so I, I give that to you to sort of illuminate uh, what I think pro-life should be is the baby is really important, but we don't go through the woman to get to the baby, right? She's not just like this byproduct. We go to the woman, period, because they come together. Um, and just one story to kind of share with you um, is I remember there was a young woman, I want to say she was like 14 or 15, and, you know, just understand it. it. She'd never been told anything I ever talk about here. It's not like she'd ever heard that, right? So, like, you have dignity. She's like, what? That was not her experience in life. She comes in, and she was, what she really wanted, honestly, y'all, she took a pregnancy test, and it was negative. And honestly, she was disappointed. Why? Because in some way, shape, or form, and there are many women like this, that you, in some way, you can believe that if, you get pregnant, then the guy will want to stay. Doesn't mean that happens. But that's in their mind in some way. So she was a little disappointed. She really liked this guy. So she's telling me about this guy. So I'm realizing she just wants to talk. Like, she's a high school girl. She just wanted someone to listen to her, and she wanted to bounce off her ideas and, like, ask questions, which was fine. I could do that. Um, and just that morning, the social worker that I had worked with was like, hey, we meet women here in this, like, reactive space where they are already pregnant and they are in crisis. But some women come to us and they're not pregnant and they're younger and what we want to do is this proactive response, right? That to help them to know like it doesn't have to be like this. Like if this was a scary experience for you, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be coming back here because you're quote worried if you got pregnant, right? And so it was interesting to me because a few hours later I'm talking to this young woman. Granted, um, the counselor who like directed us a lot, he would say, these women are coming from the desert, right? If someone has been in the desert for a long time, when they show up, you don't give them steak, you give them water, right? Steak would make them sick. Water is what they need. So I didn't say to her, you know, there's this thing called theology of the body and like John Paul II can attest to the fact that you as a woman have innate virtue and dignity within you and you are a gift meant to be, but like I didn't say that, okay? What I did say is when she said, I really like this guy, but now he's mad at me because I slept with this other guy. And like, I just don't understand like why he won't talk to me, like why he's so upset. <laughs> like, okay. And granted, this is her world. This is what she's grown up in. She doesn't know any better. So I was like, well, um, what if I told you that by this action over here, if you're sexually intimate with another man, that by your actions, your body's actually speaking a language. Like, you know how you want him to call you and talk to you and he's not doing that? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you are speaking to him, not with words, but with your actions. And what you're saying is, is you're not the most important to me. There's someone else too. And so he's angry with you. She was like, really? And I'm like, yes. She's like, wow, I never thought of it like that. She's like, well, maybe I should talk to him, like verbally. And I was like, yes, I think you should. You should also realize, and that's, when I, that's the moment though, right? When I'm able to say like, hey, there's no one like you, and I don't know if you've ever been told, but like you have dignity, and you're a gift. It's not meant for everyone. It's much more special than just like any guy that you like. Now, do I think she walked out and her entire life changed because I said something? No, 
Do I think she walked out and I could hope and believe that there was a seed planted that God can do something with? Yes. Does that make sense? So um, the question to then go back to is, what is this young woman looking for? What is any woman that comes to our clinic looking for? She's looking for love, right? How did she get in the situation that she would be in a crisis pregnancy? She's looking for love. Now, her crisis mode is one that she has to slow down a lot more and think because it involves a whole nother life, right? If someone struggles with an addiction and they're in a crisis mode because they fall again, like pornography or different things like that, can their crisis mode, can it sometimes be correct if they're like, oh my gosh, I want to like get rid of my computer? Yes, true, that'd be a good thing. But is it still good for us to help people in our lives if they're struggling with these things is to slow down and to say, what is your value system? When you aren't feeling the rush of these hormones or this like feel good response chemically, like what do you believe in? What kind of woman or man do you want to be? That's what helps someone to then decide. That's what support looks like, right? Someone's always worth a conversation. So to go back to your notes, um, that second quote, this is sort of illuminating for you, and this is what the church says. It's the first quote in the whole catechism, and it says, God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all of his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son as redeemer and savior. In his son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. And I share that quote, number one, for you to pray with. But it's saying that God wants to make man share in his own, in God's own blessed life. He calls together all men scattered and divided by sin. God knows that we are scattered. God knows that we are divided. He still desires us to be in communion. He wants us to be in communion, union with those around us, in family. The women that come when they're in crisis pregnancy, they are looking for support. They're looking for family. And they're usually in that situation because they haven't found that. So they don't know where to find love that's authentic and lasting, right? So in the note of what are we looking for and, you know, cue all the songs, like looking for love in all the wrong places, et cetera. Okay. Point is, how do I know this to be true, that this is what we need? Well, again, they told us. Look at the notes. <laughs> it says, man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience love and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. We are all created for this. We cannot live without it. It's like water or like oxygen for us. On a supernatural level, this is what we are created for. It's where we've come from, God, and it's where we're going, God. moving to pro-love. They're all like the same thing. That's the point. Pro-life, pro-love, pro-woman. It means the same thing. But it was a cool title. Pro-love. There you go. Happy Valentine's Day. I included love in the title. If you want to read what the church believes about love, two of my favorite books in the Old Testament, actually, 
One of them is the book of Tobit, so I have it listed here, and one of them is the Song of Songs. The book of Tobit, I've shared about this before, it's the story of Tobias and Sarah. Um, Sarah's married seven times, and all of her husbands die on her wedding night. Do you think she was a little bit heartbroken? Yes. Did she know how to fix it? No, other than she prayed, and she asked God to do something about it. Um, and then St. Raphael, who's an awesome intercessor, y'all, he's also the Archangel of Healing. He is the one that brought Tobias to Sarah, and he told Tobias what to do to get rid of this demon that was um, in love with her, basically. And on their wedding night, after he gets rid of the demon, he says, sister, get up and let us pray. So he brings together, and so this word is now going to become something you're going to be tired of hearing at the end of this talk, integration. That's really the theme of this. Love is integration. Holiness is integration. Meaning, what was coming was the beauty of the language of the spouses in a physical, intimate sense, right? But what preceded that was them going together, them kneeling at their bed and saying, God, we offer this to you. And he literally says the words, Lord, I take this sister of mine, so a sister in humanity, I take her not out of lust, but with sincerity, right? If you break down the word sincerity, it means without wax. In the old Roman times, right, I've said this, but some of you might not have heard it, they have all these marble statues. Well, if you mess up, you can put wax on, like, oh, it doesn't really look like I, oops, I chipped off his nose. Like, probably not the nose, that'd be obvious, but like the shoulder or something. And you can put the wax on, and you can make it appear as if it doesn't have that uh, issue, problem, flaw. So if I have a lot of money and I want a really nice statue, if I were that in Roman times, then I would go in and go buy this statue to know what it actually looks like. I would put it in the sun because wherever there's the wax, it would melt away. So without the wax, I see it as it is. So when he says, I take this sister of mine not out of lust, but with sincerity, it's in truth. I take and receive the gift of this woman that you have given to me. And I only know that because this awesome priest preached that as a homily at a wedding one time. And I was like, whoa, that's great. So that's a book I recommend. Another book is The Song of Songs. It's this like duet between these two lovers. Um, and it's, it's a symbol for God's love with his people. But then it's also a, a real symbol of the love between man and woman. And at the end of the, the book, it says... The bride is saying to the bridegroom, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a most vehement flame. Just in reading that, even if you've never read the book before, you can see that this aspect is like the passionate aspect of love, right? But again, the word integration. If you think that love is only passion, right? you're only going to be disappointed, number one. Number two, you're going to settle for less than what you deserve in terms of the gift of love. So we integrate it, then if you look at the next quote, it's from 1 Corinthians 13. This focuses on agape. So agape is like the sacrificial aspect of love, right? Where you serve the other. And they're not meant to be, it's not like this kind of love is bad and this kind of love is good. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is the goal is to integrate. They're both good. But if you have eros without agape, it becomes... It becomes something that is more like a license than a fullness of the freedom that we have as man and woman. It lacks something. When you put them together, imagine like, um, this is what I'm thinking. Have you ever seen, I just love horses. I think they're beautiful, right? And they're strong. They're like, oh my gosh, you look at them, they're 
muscles are like, I'm like, what the heck? Like this thing weighs so much and it could knock me over easily, right? But it's beautiful. If you have a horse that's a wild horse, it's never been tamed, grew up in the wild. It's strong, right? But you take that and you somehow can tame that strength and funnel it in a certain direction, the speed becomes something so beautiful to watch, right? It's like, it's free, even though it's tamed, but it's strong and it's directed to something, to a course. That's what it means to like integrate. You integrate arrows with agape. Um, Fun fact, if you look in St. Peter's Basilica, one day, you should all go. And if you are in the back and you look up, they have different virtues that are uh, symbolized in different ways. I was over the moon when I found this out. Um, There's a unicorn as one of the statues. (laughs) Thanks, Maddie, for laughing. But it's connected to, to chastity. It's like this this, I think it's like a female, maybe it's an angel, but a woman who holds the unicorn in one hand because it's a strength, like in a way of mythology, like they're strong. And then a rose, the delicacy of a rose. And you want them to go together. That's authentic love. But you need the chastity, the order, the agape, the sacrifice, right, to balance it. So um, pro-woman is the way that I want to sort of continue to illuminate, I've talked about it the whole time, but uh, I did not know until about 10.30 this morning that the first reading today was the creation of woman. So high five Jesus, good job. I'm going to read it to you. What it says is, from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and various birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each of them would be its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and all the wild animals, but none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame." How perfect is that? Okay, so what I want to point out, though, um, this is the image of what God intended for woman. The story that I just told you about these women in crisis pregnancy, right? Did God, from the beginning, did he desire that sort of crisis, that experience of being alone? No. But we live this out of the fall, right? But we can't forget the intention when the Father created us as his daughters. He created us as his daughters, to be in situations where we would be, like it says, the man and his wife are both naked, yet they felt no shame. There is a concept that is arising in the culture that I think is really good that connects back to self-love, right? And I want to distinguish for you, self-love and self-absorption are two totally different things. One is healthy, one is not. Self-love is healthy. Self-absorption is not healthy, okay? Self-absorption is like everything's about me, and I don't really care what's best for you and what's not good for you. Um, 
It's just about me, right? Everyone follow what I need. Self-love is, I love myself so much that I'm going to respect your freedom, but if in some way that is unhealthy for me or toxic, then I'm going to also walk away. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, there's this movie that just came out called um, Isn't It Romantic? And I'm not saying I recommend the movie. There are definitely some parts that were like completely unnecessary, but there also were some parts that were absolutely hysterical. So it's basically this like parody on romantic comedies and this woman wakes up and she's living a romantic comedy and she's like, what is going on? And so what happens is, is she, um, <laughs> I forgot her name, sorry, that would make it easier for you to visualize it. But imagine she hits her head, she wakes up, the ER doctor, she's like, who are you? And she's like in this like regal ER room and then she walks out and there's like flowers everywhere and people start dancing and she's like, what the heck's happening? And then this you know, typical attractive guy comes in the picture and he's like in this limo and he asks her to dinner and then he stands up like outside of the limo, right? The sunroof. And he turns around and he's like, go to dinner with me. And she's like, what? And he's like, don't you feel what I'm feeling? And she's like, no. And like, it's just this hysterical thing of we like to think of the movies, right, as like this is what it's going to feel like. It's just going to be like everything clicks in an hour and a half. I know that you're who I'm meant to be with, and it's going to be great. Again, why I'm bringing you back to the word of like integration, the both and. It's over time that we can test and see these things and see what's lasting. What I did like about the movie is that at the end she realizes like she can only receive or recognize the love that she wants when she first loves herself. And so... That's sort of the theme of the talk that I wanted to get to is wherever you are right now in your life, like, I get it. Okay, I get it. And it's Valentine's Day. I get it. Wherever you are, this is not wasted time. And this might feel like long, and some of you might be in spaces that are really difficult, but I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like the blink of an eye. And if you are open to it, the grace that you are winning now for yourself, for your family, for your future family, like there are things that we do not even see. And when we get to see it, we're going to be overwhelmed with joy and so thankful even for the difficult places. So, moving back to the notes to give you something to connect to. Um, it says the woman is another I in a common humanity. So the theme that I'm going to be kind of fleshing out here is in reference to the Song of Songs. Um, I have a few quotes from Theology of the Body. I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to explain them, but they're going to illuminate the point I'm trying to get to. So it says first, the bride appears to the eyes of the bridegroom as a garden closed. This is a language from that scripture. As a garden closed and a fountain sealed where she speaks to him with what seems most profoundly hidden in the entire structure of her feminine eye, which also constitutes the strictly personal mystery of femininity. This is the important part. The bride presents herself to the eyes of the man as the master of her own mystery. One can say that both metaphors, a garden closed and a fountain sealed, express the whole personal dignity of the sex, of that femininity which belongs to the personal structure of self-possession, and can consequently decide not only the metaphysical depth, but also the essential truth and authenticity of the personal gift. What this is saying is that between spouses, the woman, in the gift of her physicality, her body, which is good, when she presents herself to her husband, 
who, again, he's thinking about this, and he uses Tobias and Sarah as an example, seeking virtue, right, to see her as she is. But he says, and if you think about man and woman, our culture, this is not a talk about our culture and uh, all the issues with gender right now, but what I want to say very clearly is very easily we can see there's a difference biologically between man and woman. That is a fact, okay? Man's reproductive organs are external. Women's are internal. That's a physical reality, but John Paul II is also saying it points to a spiritual reality of there is something about woman that is veiled, that is mystery to man. And every time I say that, like, you, women always get like, huh, because it says something about us that we know to be true, but that we have perhaps because of the way that the world looks at us, we forget. We feel like we're invisible, or we feel like we're not enough, or we feel like all these different things based on what the world says, and the Father's like, no, 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 I made you, trust me, I know what you are, and what you are is a mystery. What you are, if you realize you, you are this, but he entrusts to us, and so this is the self-gift thing. God the Father entrusts to woman, first and foremost, the gift of herself. So too he entrusts to man, first and foremost, the gift of himself. So when he uses the imagery, think of a garden that's closed, right? It's something that's beautiful and teeming with life, but it doesn't mean that everyone deserves entrance into it. Or a fountain that's sealed, water, life, overflowing. But if it's sealed, it's not for everyone. So what he's saying here is that woman is the one who chooses within her freedom to present herself to the eyes of the man as the master of her own mystery. She possesses the gift of herself, the mystery of who she is, and so then can in love offer that to the man. And he says that this belongs to the personal structure of self-possession. And so this is the authenticity of what it means to be a personal gift. What I'm trying to get to is for you to see for the rest of our lives, y'all, even when if you're called to marriage, you get married, whatever your vows are, whatever state of life you enter into, it's not like we ever finish this. We don't ever complete it. Like this is what it means to be converted is for the rest of our lives we're on this journey to heaven, to the Father. And in different ways we're going to be asked to offer the gift of ourselves. And in different ways that we are asked to do that, the fullness of that depends upon how much I treasure the gift of who I am before I offer it to another. The next part, um, to just illustrate it some more, it says, when the bride says, my beloved is mine, she means at the same time, it is he to whom I entrust myself. And therefore she says, and I am his. The apposition my affirms here the whole depth of the trust that corresponds to the inner truth of the person. So like this cute baby in the front row, Benedict, right? Jordan, the mom, can say like, oh my Benedict. Like what does that mean? There's like a certain possession there. But it's not like because she's like domineering. It's because there's a love right? And like Benedict, though he can't express it right now with words, he trusts her. It gets a safe space because there is no fear in true love, right? So that's what he's saying, is reflecting that the bride says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He says that likewise con- corresponds to the inner truth of the person, the spousal meaning of femininity in relation to the male I, that is to the language of the body. Again, about that verse with the garden close. The bridegroom, so the groom, the man, states this truth with the metaphor of the garden closed and the fountain sealed. The bride answers him with the words of the gift, that is, of entrusting herself. As the master of her own choice, she says, I am for my beloved. 
The freedom of the gift is the response to the deep consciousness of the gift expressed in the bridegroom's words. Through this truth and freedom, the love is built up that thus becomes authentic love. So what is he saying? He's saying the actual gift is her choosing with her freedom to entrust herself to him. She confirms the gift of who he is by saying, I give to you this gift of me. The freedom is her own I. I'm an I, you're an I. I cannot go over and take from you who you are. You can only offer that gift. You are the only one that can do that. And the hope is that you do that in love. And when he's saying this last sentence that I put in bold print, it's through truth, the truth of who she is, the truth of who he is, the truth of their relationship, and freedom. If there's no freedom, it's not love. The love is built up that thus becomes authentic love. And so that's what I mean by like, okay, the hour and a half movie I watched last night was really funny. But the cool part about it was that this woman realizes like what she loves more than anything is her best friend that she's been friends with for years. And that's why like friendships make the best of romantic relationships, right? God has his plan. You don't have to follow a formula. But what I'm saying is, is that there is a depth when love is authentic and you allow it to deepen and you know who you are. What is possible is a place that is free and that is safe, that is free of fear because it's authentic love. That's how authentic love grows. It grows through truth. It grows through freedom. If you tell me things that are not true, it's not truth. If you go against my will and I'm not free, it's not freedom. If I can't trust you, we cannot go into the depths of what love could be. Does that make sense? And the beautiful thing is that a relationship, and I think this will make sense to you, it's like, like I'm a person and this other person's a person, but it's like there's a third life, if that makes sense to it. Like this relationship is its own life too, but it requires that in truth and freedom, we both contribute. And it blossoms beautifully when we both do that. And what does truth mean? And that's what I'm going to keep moving to. So look at the next quote. Man is person, so a human person, free to choose with his will, precisely because he's master of himself and has dominion over himself. Indeed, inasmuch as he is master over himself, he can give himself to another. And it is this dimension, the dimension of the freedom of the gift that becomes essential and decisive for the language of the body, meaning the intimacy of the spouses, in which man and woman express themselves reciprocally in conjugal union, marital intimacy, sexual union. The key here is that man is person precisely because he is master of himself. If I do not know who I am, if I say one thing and do another, even if I have the best of intentions, okay, I can have great intentions, but if I say one thing and do another, I am being duplicitous. Love cannot grow there. And do I say this like in an accusatory way? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is all of us have to take a step back and ask the Lord to reveal to us, where are the places, Lord, that I am not sincere in myself? And he'll reveal it to you. And some places will need healing. Some places will need, by your will, you'll offer forgiveness, whatever it might be. But we're seeking truth, and truth is always what brings wholeness, and it honors freedom. So with freedom and integrity of the gift, which is the next part, um, do you remember the story I told you in the beginning about the young woman who's 15, 16 years old and takes the pregnancy test and she's crying? Okay, now I want you to imagine the woman, 20s or 30s, she's same exact situation, except she's in her 20s or 30s and she's married, takes a pregnancy test and she starts crying. What are her emotions? 
she might have the same similar ones, fear, anxiety, joy, sadness. It could be all of it, right? We talked about we're human. We experience a lot. But, and I just, two of my best friends, cool fun fact, they both delivered babies yesterday, their second babies. They both had girls. They're beautiful. Point is, even if this woman in this story, this example, even if it's, quote, an unexpected pregnancy, even if her tears are sadness, what is the difference between her tears of sadness and the tears of sadness of the 15-year-old? One of them is in a space and a union that even if it's difficult, even if it means they're going to freak out about their finances and they have to make ends meet, right? She is safe in the sense of she's in a union with an other, the way that God designed it to be so that she is not alone in having to respond to this need. It's not about she's better than this girl. No, it's saying, I wish for that girl she had that support. And that girl probably was never told her, the gift of who she is. What it's saying here is, this is why marriage and family honor how God intended it, because he intended for man and woman together to co-create, to reflect the love of the Trinity, which is a life-giving thing, right? That it overflows. And so even if it's hard, these tears this woman is crying are still going to reflect back that she is not alone in this space. Does that make sense? So freedom and integrity, how do, you, how do you get to that place? Like, how do you live this out? Um, and here's some quotes to invite you to pray with. One is from a book I highly recommend called Back to Virtue by Peter Kraft. He's a philosopher. He's super hysterical and normal and common sense, and he's just great. He says, every gift requires two freedoms, the givers and the receivers. And then John Paul II says that man can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. And also the essence, so the, the central life of spousal love is in giving oneself, giving one's eye. So it all comes back to we are all called to give ourselves as a gift to another. That will come in multiple forms. And my story will always be unique from yours and yours will always be unique from mine and the rest of the people in this room. But we still have the same vocation. My vocation is to love, which means I am called to offer the gift of myself. And what I'm encouraging you and kind of challenging you to do tonight, as well as me, is to slow down a bit because you might not be in crisis, but like you got a lot going on. To slow down a bit, even those listening on the podcast, and like I challenge you to think about what are the places and spaces where maybe you are not integrated. Because when we live, I don't want to say double life, but like we're all experiencing ways that you feel kind of split. God desires to bring that together. What I am not saying is that you should not get married until you're like perfectly healed because then you'll never get married. That is not the point. The vocation of marriage is part of your healing. What I am saying is that you don't have to like try out everything before you get married and like, oh, I'm married now. Maybe I should figure out myself. Like, no, <laughs> like right now is precious time for you to receive the Lord's love in such a way that you know who you are and can therefore again offer a full gift of self, that you possess yourself, that you are the master of yourself and that you can offer that in truth and in freedom. And so this other quote from John Paul II, he says, the law of the gift is inscribed, so to speak, in the very being of the person. The creator inscribed in the nature of the personal being. The creator inscribed in the nature of the personal being, the potency, so the potential, and the power of giving oneself. And this potency or power is closely joined with the structure of self-possession and self-governance proper to the person. Meaning there is a power that comes forth when you give yourself to another person. 
Quite literally, it has the potential for a new life, hence the baby in the room, right? Y'all, that's a big deal. We're the only creatures, the only creatures that God created that in and through our freedom, I have the capacity to create another life. It's not just an instinct. It is not just an instinct. I'm mad about that and I'm saying that because that's what the culture says. And that makes man into an animal. Biologically speaking, does he have the, the nature of an animal? Yes, but what I'm saying is, is we're different and that supernaturally we have a soul that is rational. I can know, I can choose with my will and therefore that means that I can image the creator. We are made in his image and likeness. We're the only creatures like that. Meaning I can love because I can give the gift of myself and I can receive the gift of another. So what does the word integrity mean since I've used it 50 times and never told you, though I'm sure you figured it out or you already know? Number one, the quality of being honest, which is great because that's not the point I want to focus on, but it just, that connects back to the second point because to be honest means to be whole, right? The state of being whole and undivided. Whatever you are called to, if you enter onto this journey of what I'm challenging you to do, which is number one, know yourself. Know who you are. Oh my gosh, if you forget everything else I say and you just think about, I'm called to know who I am, I would be thrilled. Number one, know yourself. It's worth that. You're worth that. Your future family, whomever is in your life right now, is worth that. Number two, do not be afraid to offer the gift of yourself. There's a reverence that you have of yourself. You don't just give it to anyone, right? Do not throw your pearls before swine. Again, time, patience, allows love to be revealed. And you can offer it in truth and in freedom. If this other person offers you truth and is free, right? It has to be this mutual reciprocity or it has to be reciprocal. Um, to illuminate this, there's a quote from, I don't know if I've ever seen this movie, The Neverending Story. I like vaguely remember it. It's from before probably any of us were born, 1984. Um, but I just remember this big white dog that can fly or something. Anyway. I can say you should all go watch it. It looks very intriguing by all the quotes I read today. But someone was telling me about a quote at the end of the movie. And I searched for it today because I thought it illuminated this point. So this one character, N.G. Wook, says, Next is the magic mirror gate. Atreyu, who's a little boy, will have to look his true self in the face. And this other character, Fawkor, says, So what? That won't be too hard for him. And then the other character says back, oh, that's what everyone thinks. But kind people find out that they are cruel. Brave men discover that they are really cowards. Confronted with their true selves, most men run away screaming. The power of looking in a mirror, right? It says, confronted with their true selves, most men run away screaming. So when I challenge you to know yourself, I'm saying, go look in the mirror. Okay, literally, but like spiritually, metaphorically. And I want to subcategorize that by saying, don't do it alone. I mean by that, I mean, I mean, do it with God. Okay? Another image that comes to mind as I'm saying that is, um, if you've ever seen Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, cool, you should all watch it. It's really awesome in terms of an analogy of the spiritual life, like, whoa, struggles for men, struggles for women, holy cow. So imagine this really, gosh, that's hard to describe. Aslan's this lion, he's, he's the best, literally the best, and I have to stop talking about him because I don't have time. 
Point is, he looks in the mirror with Lucy. Lucy's struggling because she's not Susan, her older sister, who she believes to be more beautiful, more accomplished, more loved, who men actually notice, and she feels invisible, right? So she tries this potion, this, uh, she uses this spell to, to be Susan. She sees what it's like, and then when she does that, Lucy doesn't exist. And then all of a sudden, like, snapped out of that experience, that dream where she did that. Aslan, because love, sometimes, when it's true, it hurts, but it's still true, and it's worth that. To free her by using truth, he is the one who shows up behind her as she's looking in the mirror as Lucy, and he says, you doubt your value. Don't run from who you are. And so I offer that to you. Myself included, y'all. You doubt your value. Do not run from who you are. Y'all, we can run all day, far and fast, but guess what? The end of the day, each of us, we can never run away from ourselves. When I go to sleep at night and I am not talking and I'm closing my eyes, who is with me? Myself. And hopefully, God, as in he is. So what I'm telling you is be aware that he is with you. I'm not asking you to do this alone. And when God was talking about the first reading today, when he creates woman, man had experienced an original solitude. He knew that he was made to give himself as a gift, and he didn't find someone like him. There was no creature that existed like him. He was sleeping, and then God made woman. And I personally believe that for both then, in some way, there's what we call original solitude, meaning there's time where God the Father was with the Son, where God the Father was with the daughter, revealed to her the gift of who she was and him the gift of who he was so that when they came together, there was that freedom and truth because their first daughter before their sister, before their wife, before their mother. Same for the man, son before brother, before husband, before father right? That's where the freedom comes. We all have a father. We are all part of this human family. And as the church, the spiritual family. Uh, The next quote is from one of my favorite movies. I don't care how old I am. I will always love this movie. Cinderella, the 2015 version. If you want a tangible theology of the body experience of like, what is he trying to say in the purity of love and like the gift of freedom and chastity, go watch this movie again with that lens. Um, But at the very end of the movie, she's coming down the stairs. You all know the story. We grew up with this. But the live version's great. The officer of the king goes in, and the stepmother is trying to stop her from going down. And the officer of the king is like, "Uh, who do you think you are talking to the stepmother? Like, "Are are you a god? Are you a king? And I look at him as like Raphael figure, like archangel, legit. He's like, uh, go away. No, you don't have the final word over her. She's free. She comes down the stairs to go see the prince. He's waiting for her with the glass slipper. She looks in the mirror, and you hear the narrator as she's looking at herself in the mirror, and the narrator says this line. Would who she was, who she really was, be enough? There was no magic to help her this time. This is perhaps the greatest risk any of us will ever take to be seen as we truly are. This is perhaps the greatest risk that any of us will ever take, to be seen as we truly are. Hear me when I say that 
just because there are people in your life that have rejected you when you have presented to them the gift of who you really are. It's not because the gift is not good or worthy of being fought for. We all have poverty in our lives, right? We, meaning places that ache, places that we hurt, whether because of our own sin, things that have been done to us, everyone has it. God's timing is very mysterious to me, trust me. But if our Father is good, and if he promises that all things work together for our good because we love him, then even those situations he can transform for us. But I beg of you as I challenge myself to this, do not close or refuse to ever offer the gift of who you truly are or try to fit a mold of what someone else wants to appease them. That's not freedom and that's not truth. The truth of who you are, that's the gift the world needs. The truth of who you are, not a mirage or a facade. The next quote is from that book I spoke about previously, The Brothers Karamazov, and it just says that hell is the suffering of being unable to love. That's what it looks like when we close ourselves off, which we might do, understandably so, after being hurt or being rejected, but the challenge is to not do that. The one word, the one being's word over you who has eternal effect is God, and his word over you is already stamped over your creation. Very good. Boom. You are very good. You are worthy. You are delighted in. You are chosen. There's nothing you can do to screw that up. Do not let other people in their poverty who haven't been able or maybe are unable or maybe can't or maybe aren't the people to receive that gift, stop you or make you too afraid to offer the gift because the world needs the gift of who you are. We desperately need the gift of who you are. There is no gift like you. There never has been. There never will be. And again, in heaven, this is going to all make so much sense and it's going to be glorious, right? If you keep going, from that verse from Corinthians earlier, what it says is, for now we see dimly, but then we shall see face to face. We will recognize his face one day because we will have seen love on this side of heaven. And we bring that into the world by offering it through the gift of, not as anyone else does, but as the gift of who I am, as the gift of who you are. Two things for encouragement. Number one, we are not strong enough. That's the bad news. Good news is he doesn't expect us to do it without his help. Grace is God's supernatural love and strength. So this is one of my favorite quotes. That's why it's used in almost every talk I give. From Carol Watia, who is John Paul II, from Love and Responsibility, he says, do not be dismayed if love sometimes follows tortuous ways. Grace has the power to make straight the paths of human love. Do not be dismayed if love sometimes follows tortuous. That's like ridiculous, like tortuous, not like, oh, it's a little hard. Tortuous, Okay. Grace has the power to make straight the paths of human love. And the last quote I want to offer you to close up the talk, um, this is one of my favorite quotes from the catechism. This is on forgiveness. I need you to hear me out when I say this. Every single one of us can always continue to grow in choosing forgiveness. And notice I said choose. Forgiveness does not mean that I wake up tomorrow and I feel like everyone is great, even the people that have hurt me. No. Forgiveness does not mean that I'm supposed to be best friends with everyone. Sometimes that is not healthy. 
Forgiveness means I offer to you, again, my freedom in love, and I say, um, imagine my hand's in a fist, right? If my hand's in a fist, and like, if you're really mad and you like fist it up even more, right? Like everything gets like tight. Letting something go, everything is now open. If I'm holding on to what someone has done to me, and I'm talking to myself, okay, it's all of us. This is the rest of our lives. This never gets easy. If I'm holding on to it so tightly, how much are they suffering from that? They might be, but who's really suffering? Me. It's almost disabling me. It's paralyzing me in a sense. But I open up to receive and surrender. That's where God's grace can move in. Again, not that you're saying everything's okay, not that you're supposed to be best friends with the whole world. That's not healthy. But also I want you to see, as I'm looking at the crucifix in the church over there, one of my best friends recently we were talking about this concept, and she was like, look, you're not letting go of pain and like putting it into a void. Or this person that's hurt you and putting them into a void. You have a place to put them. And that place is the sacred heart of Jesus. Everything we love, y'all. People that don't know us, that we don't love, I mean, they might hurt our feelings, but whatever. The people that we're closest to, those are the ones that have the most power to hurt us, right? Because we trust them. That's where our families are the hardest to love, but so are we. That's when all of our stuff comes out. We place those wounds, those places of ache, that person that's hurt us, that situation that's painful, and we say with our will, Father, give me the grace to, and I choose to forgive, and I place it in your sacred heart. You work the miracle. You untie the knots. You heal where healing needs to be done for both parties, right? Um, and you ask for the grace to see and to know that God is moving, y'all. He is always moving. Even if you don't see, see what you think would be the fruit of that, know that he is moving. Pray for that person, too, that's hurt you, for the record. That's like the last thing any of us ever wants to do. I'm not saying that's a human response. That's why I'm calling it a supernatural thing, right? That's what grace is. Pray for the person that has hurt you. I'm telling you, it's freeing. Because on the other side of heaven, y'all, we ain't gonna care. On the other side of heaven, St. Paquita, for the record, what she said to the man that had like beaten her, she said if she could go back and kiss his hands, she would. Because it is through those wounds that she met God. I'm not saying condoning abuse. You obviously know what I'm saying. I'm saying in heaven, if God works everything together for our good, don't waste your energy on, on the hurt as much as you can. And this is a process and it's slow and sometimes it takes years. But keep with your will as much as you can. Lord, I choose to forgive. I offer this person to you and you keep moving. So this quote says that. It says, it is there in fact in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed. It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. But the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. It's in the heart that everything happens, you guys. It is not in our power to not feel hurt or to forget something. That's not up to us. It's saying, offer your heart to the Holy Spirit so that that pain and that injury can become compassion and literally your mind, you guys, your memory can be transformed and that pain can become intercession for you, for that person, for everything. That's the power of God. That in our dying, we can actually gain life. That through Good Friday, there could actually be Easter Sunday. Death does not 
have the last word. That is why if love sometimes follows torturous ways, grace, which is the power of Easter Sunday flowing through the wounds of Good Friday, right? It has the power to make straight the paths of human love. Straight, integrated. I offer you the challenge to know yourself. And then following that challenge, do not be afraid to offer the gift of yourself. I challenge you to pray for the grace that you might see the places in your life that you are not integrated so that first and foremost, you might be able to receive more fully the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but then you might be even more free than you can imagine to offer the gift of who you are in the ways and to the people that you are called to do that. Let's close in a prayer. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the ways that you are speaking to each one of us. I ask, Lord, that you would just seal all the graces of these words of the beauty of what you've entrusted to us in the gift of love, that we as human beings can reflect you to the world. We can reflect your strength, your stability. We can reflect your joy, your laughter, your being a father who has the eternal appetite of infancy of being a child, that you can live out for us what it means to be both young at heart and also mature in virtue. And I pray for that grace for each person here and each person that listens to this. And I trust all this to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, especially that she would intercede for us in the ways that we have been hurt in love, that she may intercede that we would be healed, that each of us would be able to receive the healing of the Holy Spirit, that we would have the grace to offer forgiveness, and that we would come to know the gift of who we are, and that we would grow in strength and courage to be unafraid to offer the gift of who we actually are, that we would know that who we really are is, in fact, enough. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. And St. John Paul II, pray for us. And Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, the resources for Women's New Life Center, if you want contact info, they have offices in both Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Um, they have a really cool website. I encourage you to check it out in case you ever meet someone you think might need to look at what they have, Women's Health Clinic. Uh, thank you so much for coming, and happy Valentine's Day.